The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a great program. I know you're going to be inspired. You'll probably learn some uh, new ideas and find some new depths in your own recovery. So I'm very glad that you've joined us today. And I want to also thank you for liking our Spirit of Recovery Facebook page. Thank you for posting your comments there. And thank you also for emailing me and letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. Thank you for participating, and uh, also thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual communities, your family, your friends know about us here on Unity Online Radio, and um, it's great to know that what we're doing here matters to you, that it's making a difference in your life and in your recovery, and that you're feeling free to share it. Every week, we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative. My guests are always uh, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for people in recovery or spiritual topics, and they are people that are down-to-earth and really give you some good inspiration and some good information because they're people that walk their talk. So my guests are always bringing practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen, of course, live via your computer, via your smart device. You can listen by going to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can um, go through iTunes. You can listen. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can use that and ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio. Um, So there's lots of ways you can listen. You can also listen to our archives. You can listen to our podcast. We've got several years' worth of great programs. You can simply go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and listen at your own convenience. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction, or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, or if you're just curious about addiction and recovery, you're welcome here. We're glad you're here. You're welcome to participate, to uh, email or call in a comment or a question for my guest on the topic. Um, we're just glad you're here. I also want to point out always to family members... Uh, that there is a recovery for family members through the family. There are many programs and many therapies and uh, avenues available for family members to recover from the family aspect of the disease of addiction. So everybody's welcome here. Very glad that you're here. I always also want you to know that if you like what you're hearing on Spirit of Recovery and also the other great programs on UnityOnlineRadio.org. And if you would like to support that financially, you can do that. There's a way. You can text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and you can make a one-time or an ongoing contribution to support this nonprofit radio station if you would like to do that. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. 
I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor, and I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. Now, over 35 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, and my uh, walk continues to be an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing. So I am delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to uh, hear what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. My topic today is free to love, resetting the patterns that keep us lonely. You know, when we get into recovery, we have the opportunity to create a healthier, more loving, more close and honest and and fruitful and enlivening relationships. And that's true, again, whether you're the person with a a substance or a process being a behavioral addiction or if you're the person that's a family member or friend. Whatever your situation, uh, entering to this recovery process for yourself opens up really wonderful new doors to great relationships. So um, you may be aware that um, what we learn about love, we learn a lot of times in our family or circumstances of origin. And um, so some of that's good and some of it may be not so fruitful, not so helpful. So... uh, With awareness and commitment, uh, we can recover our sense of self and our ability to develop uh, loving and fulfilling relationships. And my guest today uh, is is well qualified to talk about this, and I know you're going to enjoy what he shares. He's been my guest before a few years ago, and I'm just glad to have him back. And his name is John Harold Lee. And John is an international best-selling author and speaker, and he's one of the founding members of the men's movement. And uh, John uh, has written numerous books. He's been uh, a guest on numerous uh, international uh, media programming over the years, and um, he is also uh, a keynote speaker and a a guest presenter in lots of um, premier conferences. And he's... uh, going to be sharing with us today about how men and women can clarify and dismantle counterproductive dynamics of male-female relationships in a non-shaming, non-blaming way. His latest book is about that topic. It's called Breaking the Mother-Son Dynamic, Resetting the Patterns of a Man's Life and Loves. And uh, you can learn more about him and about that book and many many other things he does and the other books that he's written if you go to johnleebooks.com and that's john l-e-e books.com i also want you to know because this will be part of what we'll be talking about today too that uh john is going to be the keynote presenter um later um in march 24th of next month actually uh at the ninth annual conference of it happens to boys and this is the premier conference that addresses the effects and healing tools for male survivors of sexual abuse for their partners and families and that's a really important topic and um so john's going to be the keynote presenter there as well as uh later on we'll talk about this later but at another uh recovery conference so john welcome back to spirit of recovery Well, thank you very much, Anna. You know, as you were just talking about what you do and and the church does and the recovery community does, I mean, that that was really moving and inspirational, just that part right there. It's the the inclusivity that, that you present is, especially at this time in... In our country, good Lord, we need more inclusivity. Yeah, we do. Thank you for saying that. You know, and and I'll just put this word in. I am so grateful for my years uh, in recovery as a family member because I know that what I have learned there is that we're all in a circle. We're all Mm. equal. It's for everybody that wants to be there, and when somebody new comes, all we do is make the circle bigger, and I'm so grateful for that because that, again, as you're saying, what, what we're going through right now as a country and a, and a world, to me, that's, that's what we need to know. And I, I learn more about it every day. I'm not saying I've got it all down, but I'm grateful to the Rooms of Recovery because that's where I learned that, and also yeah. in unity, you know. Yeah, so between thanks for unity that up. and 
Yeah, and recovery and and just growing up and becoming adults, you know, it's it's inclusivity should be a pretty much a part of anybody's progress and healing and and loving. So thank you very much for what you're doing and what you've said already today. You're welcome and thank you. So John, tell us a little bit about um, what can uh, I guess I'll just ask you about your book a little bit. I, wh- okay. What is it that your um, what's your purpose in in this book? I know that uh, that that's a, a life work for you is is understanding the dynamics that happen between women and men, and really working with men, and uh, in particular, and focusing on that freedom. So, what's the fundamental dynamic that blocks people in male female relationships? Well, in this book, uh, you know, I've addressed other issues and, and problems that are there. But in this book, um, I was trying to speak in a positive way and, and like you said, in a non-shaming way uh, to men who are overly enmeshed or in, attached to their mothers in ways that uh, can be detrimental to their love life and their relationships and, and their marriages. Um, this And then part of it, too, was written for particularly young mothers. I wanted to really give young mothers uh, uh, some information and tools to work with to, to start out with their boys, uh, trying to... Uh, you know, separate in a functional, healthy way and still be supportive. And uh, I, I hope that's what that book has done. But it, it's a, it's also an attempt to just say, you know, this is an issue. The mother-son issue is not discussed very openly and honestly anywhere. Um, the the father-son relationship uh, can, you know, stuff just pours out of people when they start talking about that. But we have so many taboos about speaking out about the truth of the way we were mothered and the way we became sons. And so, Mm -hmm. again, this book was an attempt to clarify some of those issues and, and and, of course, a lot of it, a lot of it came out of my own personal enmeshment and, and uh, you know, with my own mother, you know, till I was well into my, well, my 30s, I guess. Uh, you know, it'd be things like, uh, you know, a, a woman would say to me after a Christmas dinner, you know, you didn't, you didn't stand up for me. And every time I said something and your mother disagreed, you took her side. You know, things like that can really, really, you know, impact a relationship. Right. Yeah. Tell us some more about what some of the, what is, what do you mean by enmeshment? Tell us what that means. Well, it's it's a strange psychological phenomenon that that most of us, especially my age and older, but I've talked to a lot of young people about this. Separation in children begin around the age two. This is the little toddler who starts exploring and moving away from mother and dad, and and it's an act of uh, beginning separation and and saying I'm me and you're you, and and then if it's in a functional healthy home, the mother does not get anxious about that separation, and the the little boy doesn't get anxious about the separation. By age 12 to 15, 16, there should almost be a a pretty total separation. I'm me, you're you, I love you, you love me. But this emotional, uh, you know, connection goes a little too far for some mothers and some sons, not everybody, but uh, but that was the way I grew up. I, I'm 
I became my mother's uh, confidant and counselor and surrogate husband. Now, that's the worst exaggeration of this issue, but over the last 30 years of counseling people in recovery and, and working on themselves, you know, I've heard it, you know, hundreds of times. Um, I'm just too enmeshed with my mother, you know, to the point that I might even, you know, give up a relationship. I, I had one guy not long ago, he moved out of his, his relationship that he loved very much to go be with his mother through a crisis, and and he never left. And he lives in her basement, and he's 48 years old. Again, that's the exaggerated worst case. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's where do I begin and end, and where do you begin and end? Um, you know, a, a lot of mothers and, and fathers just didn't have the information or the tools. Right. What's different about the mother-son dynamic than about the father-son dynamic? Well, you know, there there really uh, an interplay there um, between you know these three people. Um, the mother. If, if she's healthy, functional, uh, she's not uh, actively engaged in her addictions, uh, she will develop a relationship with her son that is healthy. But if the mother is uh, an alcoholic, an addict, uh, 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 very sick or ill or poverty-stricken, she may depend more on the son. But here's the weird thing, Anna, is that then, and this is purely out of Freud and purely out of Sophocles, uh, the great poet and playwright, the the son and the father are sort of in a tense dynamic and struggle for the woman's affections and attentions. So like I remember one time when I went home from college, uh, to visit my mom and dad, and I walked in and sat down, and my mother said to me, I was probably in my 20s, she said, uh, son, what would you like to have for dinner? I'll cook you anything you want. I'll fix you any meal you want. And and it was a very innocuous kind of statement, but it was a statement. And my dad said in sort of a little whiny voice, what about me? Mm-hmm. There was that conflict and that tension for the mother's affections and attention. And, and, and like I say, that's as old as, as Oedipus and as old as Freud. And, you know, uh, and so sometimes that can happen. Now, the other thing between a father and son, a father ideally is supposed to sort of intervene and buffer the relationship between the mother and the son um, and and try to sort of uh, defer or uh, detract some of the emotional neediness or the emotional dependence on the son. But my father and many fathers even today are at work all the time and uh, come home tired and they can't be a buffer. Mm-hmm. In what way sense? would a what? Yeah, tell us. Give us a, a how would how does that work? How do, how would the father? How could he be a buffer? Just so we can well, understand yeah. that. You know, when he when a father sees the mother, uh, you know, turning the son into a surrogate or a counselor or you know a, a caretaker. Uh, dad ideally would step in and say, now this is too much for, for our boy. Let me do some of that. Let me, let me take the burden off of the six year old or 12 year old or 30 year old and, mm-hmm. uh, and let me absorb some of, of, of that energy that comes around your needs and, and wants. Um, right. And the, the son 
sort of feels like now he's got an advocate uh, for him to to progress and move away from his mother. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just. Uh, but the father is very often just so busy and preoccupied and tired. It's hard to for him to recognize that. And and again, like in my generation, nobody taught my dad this kind of stuff that you and I are talking about today. Right. My father went to work and, and you know, was a workaholic and an alcoholic, and my mother stayed at home as a housekeeper like one would do in the 50s and 60s, and, and she needed male companionship, and that was me. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. book comes out of a lot of research, a lot of time spent talking uh, to men and women. I, I've even had women say in therapy, Anna, I really believe if push comes to shove, my husband would side with his mother to the point of of excluding me rather than going against his own mother. I told men a long time ago, I'd say, listen, if you're sitting at dinner and your mother says, oh, it's uh, it's uh, raining outside, and your wife says, no, it's a very sunny day, <laughs> then you're supposed to say, uh, mom, my wife is absolutely correct, you know, um, and, and that's sort of a, 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 an affirmation of the partner and uh, and still not a disrespect of the mother. Right. You know, John, as you're talking, it this is what comes to my mind. You can tell me how you see this, is that okay. it's, it, in a way, that what you're uh, suggesting and, and advocating is that people have adult relationships with adults yeah. and n- not try to have adult relationships with a, with a child. Now is you're that, talking now. Yeah, now you're talking. Uh-huh. I was in Seattle uh-huh. one time and, and given a, a workshop on parenting. And, and this woman, nice woman, raised her hand and she said, uh, after listening to you, I think I've done something that is not very healthy. And I said, w- what is that? Do you mind sharing with the, with the group? She said, well, my husband uh, died of, of cancer uh, when right after my baby was born a couple of years after my baby was born. And then for a long time, right up when he was six and seven and eight and nine, I would get so lonely that I'd go crawl in bed with my son and I'd ask him to hold me. Mm-hmm. And I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, you're right on target. That's not really what children and kids are designed for, that they cannot absorb adult needs, adult information, uh, adult need for comforting. Uh, The energy is too great for the child. You need to be talking to fellow adults about your loneliness. Get in a group, get in therapy, uh, go to meetings, but but don't, don't get in in the bed with your son out of your loneliness because that energy will go into his body and he could end up becoming the kind of man that always, quote, takes care of women at his own expense. Mm-hmm. That was one of the biggest, biggest examples I'd ever heard in a workshop. And, and she was crying and said, nobody told me this. I thought right. kids we're just supposed to give to the parents and the parents were supposed to give to the kids. And if you needed comforting, you picked up your child and, and hugged them and, and you felt better. And I go, no, you should have picked an adult and said, hold me. And then both of you would have felt better. Right. Thank you for uh, saying that, John, and also for your compassion. I think that uh, that really is where the compassion comes in, is that a lot of what many of us have done um, in our lives, we, we, we just didn't know. And That's because right. of whatever, you know, however we had been treated, we didn't know. We just passed it along. And That's so it's, right. it's accountability but not blame. 
No, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And when I'm working with people in therapy, one of the things that I try to get them to do in order to get to the anger and the sadness that they might be carrying is I try to explain to them the differences between accountability and responsibility. And so that young mother was accountable to not uh, put that energy into her son, but to go find some adults that could comfort and nurture her. But so she was accountable for that, uh, not blaming. She just didn't know. And then the young boy, or when he becomes a man, he has to become responsible for breaking out of that that kind of relationship and healing whatever he needs to do uh, so that he can be a loving partner, uh, whether it's a same-sex relationship or, or heterosexual relationship. Um, this is this is very, very, very important. Um, and, you know, a lot of people confuse. Uh, a lot of times at uh, 12-step meetings, you'll hear somebody say, well, I'm accountable for everything that happened to me. And I go, no, 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 you're, you're responsible for everything that happened to you to make it better. But there's some areas of accountability that you just have to, you have to work with and, and accept. Yeah. Right. I heard a, a, a speaker, a 12-step speaker, this was years ago, and it was on a speaker tape, so it's pretty much public information. But anyway, he, he expressed it in a way that really uh, moved me. He said that he had a, a friend in recovery, a, a mother who had an adult daughter, and he said that for her daughter's, I guess both of her and her daughter were in recovery, that for her daughter's sobriety birthday, that her gift to that do- adult daughter was, look, certain things about how you relate to men – that's my fault because I, I, uh-huh. I taught you that. She said, so, so that's the deal. I take responsibility or whatever uh-huh. for that being my fault, accountability. Uh-huh. She says, but uh-huh. now, now you're an adult and you've got it and I can't do anything for you around that. Yeah, except you kid, and it's your responsibility to do something about yourself now because you've got it. So there you go. That's I love perfect, that. Perfect mm-hmm. example of that. Perfect example. And see, one way a lot of people keep from getting to their anger and grief about the way they were raised or or, or just a lot of different things, they will turn the anger on themselves and say, but I should have known better. Listen, you know, my mother and dad uh, grew up in a town of about 400 people in Crossville, Alabama. My mother was 18 when she married, my dad was 19. When I look back at my 18, 19 year old self, I shouldn't have even been raising chickens, let alone kids, you know? And, and then I'd say, and if there had have been a bookstore in Crossville, Alabama, it would have had two books in it, the Bible and Norman Vincent Peale. And that's it. They just didn't have the information. And so luckily, we're seeing in younger people this emotional intelligence, and and they've read these books, and they've heard lectures on YouTube, and on and on and on. They go to workshops. They go to therapy. I mean, when I was a boy, uh, you know, people literally thought that if you went to therapy, that you were insane, that you were crazy, and that's why you went to therapy. Well, now these young people will go, we got a problem, let's get some help. Right. Yeah, it's a real gift. Yeah. It's time for our uh, break. Uh, So, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Our topic today is Free to Love, Resetting the Patterns that Keep Us Lonely. And my guest is John Harold Lee. And John is an international best-selling author and speaker, one of the founders of the Men's Movement. And um, his latest book is Breaking the Mother-Son Dynamic, Resetting the Patterns of a Man's Life and Loves. And he's talking to us about how we can reset these patterns and have really healthy adult relationships. You can learn more about John and about his books and all of his uh, professional activities by going to John Lee, and that's L-E-E, books, John Lee Books, all one word, dot com. So stay with us. We'll be right back here on Spirit of Recovery. 
Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. Did you know that the Buddha gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that Jesus gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that both these masters taught exactly the same thing? And guess what? They did not teach the law of attraction. They taught the great paradox of prosperity. You can have anything you want. Why, you can have things you don't even know you want. But not by wanting them. Instead, put your attention on the vibrant presence of the divine within. Do that and your life will change. It has to. That is the natural order. Want to crack the code on the great paradox? Get Janet Connors, The Lotus and the Lily. Available everywhere great books are sold. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus and I'm your host. And our topic today is Free to Love, Resetting the Patterns that Keep Us Lonely. And my guest is John Harold Lee, uh, who's an international best-selling author and speaker. And uh, he's telling us all about uh, these dynamics between uh, men and women and how this works and uh, whether relationships are heterosexual or homosexual. This is good information because it helps us learn how to grow up and be adults and have good Good, uh, close French friendships and close intimate relationships. Um, you can learn more about John in at johnleebooks.com. And um, I will say this on the if you heard that rooster crowing, it's because uh, <laughs> we're we're in Austin, Texas, and in Austin, in in downtown Austin, not downtown, but anyway, you can be a chicken farmer. And That's he's not right. a chicken farmer, but but his neighbors are. And last week, my guest, Reverend Roxanne Graves, who lives in urban orlando florida is also a, she is a certified chicken farmer so it's everywhere so anyway it's happening it's happening it is. And, <laughs> you know and she brought she brought me over a dozen eggs the night before last and said this is for having to listen to my your my rooster at a, any hour of the day <laughs> That's good. Said, well, thank you for the eggs yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's good. It's good. People are getting back to nature in the city. So I like yeah, that. Yeah, in the city. Uh huh. Yeah. 
Yeah. So before I get back to my conversation with John, though, I'd like to invite you to uh, join me in a brief moment of meditation of quiet called the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to just relax, to be aware of that presence of your higher power as love, as relaxation, as peace. And feel that relaxation as it moves uh, down from the crown of your head and relaxes uh, you all the way through your body temple. Be aware of your breath as it comes in and goes out and let your heart and your mind open. And share with me this constructive idea. I am a free, loving individual. And my higher power supports my independence and my interdependence. With other people. I am a free, loving individual, and my higher power supports my independence and my healthy interdependence with other people. And now let's take just a moment in the quiet. friends for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I trust that that was an opportunity for you, uh, though brief, to take a moment and relax and make that conscious contact with your higher power. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest John Lee talking about free to love, resetting the patterns that keep us lonely. Now, John, uh, before there in the in the first part of our program today, you were talking uh, a bit about uh, when adults kind of treat a child like an adult and try to get the adult needs met through the child, that it puts energy, in a sense, into that child's body and presence in a way that's not really appropriate. So there's a lot more going on in relationships than just what appears at the surface. There's a lot that is going on at the level of energy. Talk to us about that. How does that work, and how do we uh, put that in divine order? How do we set that right? Well, you know... it's hard for uh, children, you know, who grow up with parents who, like you said in the first half, you know, we just keep passing it down until somebody tells us, you know, to stop and and look at it differently. But what I've tried to do with, with men and, and the ones who have, well, let's just call it an overdeveloped sense of responsibility for their mothers. Um, you know, they've got to find a way. I called my mom when I was uh, 38 years old. My mom has a great sense of humor, and I said, Mom, you're fired. And she (laughs) said, What on earth are you talking about now? You must have been to some kind of workshop. (laughs) And I said, Well, here's the deal. I'm 36 years old. I teach college at the University of Texas and Austin Community College. And I haven't needed mothering for quite some time. And so what I would like to propose is when I, when you talk to me like a boy, I'm going to ask you to stop. And when I talk to you like a mom, I want you to ask me to stop, and we're going to work our way towards having an adult-to-adult relationship. And she said, well, I don't have any idea, hardly what you're talking about, but I'll try. And so, you know, I was happy to say that, that we did. Now, you know, I hate to just keep telling folks about my dysfunction, but I was telling a client the other day who was working with some of this, and I said, I can't believe that until I was 36 years old, if I had a breakup with a girlfriend or, or, you know, a sweetheart, I would always call my mother first and tell her about it. 
And, uh, you know, it took me till I was in my 30s to go, you know what? That's that's a form of enmeshment. That's a form of of dependence. And I need to be talking to other men and other adult women and uh, a therapist or a counselor about this. I don't need to go into details about what happened with my mother. But she and I were so enmeshed that I just thought, you know, that's what you did until you die. Um, you know, and again, part of this is is that, like I say, we just have a taboo in this culture to not say much anything negative about mothers. Um, mm-hmm. Most of us, many of us, no matter how dysfunctional uh, we might have been in a relationship to our mothers, many of us would put them on, especially my generation, would put them on a pedestal, work on our fathers. Very often he was the designated abuser or the absentee parent. And then we'd just go, no, I don't really have anything to do work with my mother. She was a saint. Well, yeah, you know, saints are few and far between, and most of our mothers were just human beings who really were doing the best they could with the knowledge they had. But again, I had to hold her accountable and and for some things, and I took responsibility for changing those things. And eventually, she and I finally got to where we are now, which we've been for 25 years, is adult to adult. Mm-hmm. And what, could you tell, describe a little bit to us what that looks like? Because, again, that may be sort of different from what the habits may be for a lot of people. What does an adult yeah. relationship look like? With your mom. Well, like, like, like in my case, there was a point in our growing together as adults where she would still bring me into the triangle. You know, many dysfunctional families are so used to triangulation uh, that most people don't even know they're doing it. Uh, so in my family, you know, my sister would talk to my dad about me. My dad would talk to my brother about my sister. I'd talk to my mother about my dad. And so at one point in my late 30s, I just said, Mom, uh, I'm not prepared any longer to hear about yours and dad's uh, ups and downs, ins and outs. Uh, I'll be happy to talk about the things that are appropriate for a son and a mother. One of the things I want to give men is this term that I learned a long time ago, and I put it in my third book called At My Father's Wedding. What I realized was that my mother was mothering me, and I was sunning her, S-O-N-N-I-N-G. When I would get around her, I would become the son. She would become the mother. And I actually, at one point, remembered seeing that when my mother and I would go visit my grandmother, her mother, she would turn into sort of a child and 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 would take orders from her mother. So in a way, she kept being she kept daughtering to her mother, and I kept sonning both to my dad and mom. And finally, uh, a great therapist, uh, uh, I'll think of his name in just a minute, very famous recovery guy. Uh, oh, um, uh, Sharon Wickshider Cruz's husband. Joe Cruz. Oh, Joe Cruz, Joe Cruz. We were at a conference teaching together, and, and he said, John, you know, it sounds like, and now this was when I was like 35, he said, John, it still sounds like you're, you're sunning. And you need to work on that and and try to elevate yourself uh, to an adult status with your adult parents. And that meant a whole lot to me. So I ask men all the time, how do you son your wife? 
How do you still son your mother? How do you still act like a son to your father? And and a lot of men will go, wow, I, just like me, I've never heard that before. Right. I have to inject this because you because you were talking about Joe Cruz and Sharon Wegscheider Cruz, who have been so important in the recovery community. The uh-huh. very first time I had the idea that I could be an adult in my family was from them. I took several of their workshops. This was back in the 80s. And uh-huh. it just, I was just like astonished. I mean, you mean that I can actually choose to act like an adult in the family I grew up in, that is a news flash to me. Yeah, and that yeah. changed everything for me. Yeah. It did me too when Joe said that about, you know, well you're still acting like a son to your mother and here you are, thirty five, thirty six years old. When when are you gonna stop doing that? And so, you know, I really looked at that and took it to heart and and that, again, was sort of the beginning steps of me and my mother separating son to mother, but also coming together as adult to adult. And I try with a lot of men and women clients to get them to see that if their mothers and fathers are alive and still with us, uh, to get to that place of adult to adult before it's too late, because everybody will benefit from it. Absolutely. You know, one thing I want to ask you about uh, with this, John, is it takes a lot of courage to do that, to what you're talking about, to be an adult, to begin to claim it in yourself and to initiate those kinds of adult interactions uh, with a parent. How do you get that kind of courage? Well, one of the ways, uh, you know, is is really understanding uh, the codependent relationship uh, that many people suffer with their parents. Oh, I'm afraid to tell my mother this. It would break her heart. It would kill her. Uh, She'd never get over it. And I say, you know, your mother's been through, you know, bankruptcy, alcoholism, you know, childbirth. I think she'll be okay, you know, telling her how you really feel in an appropriate way. And until uh-huh. you can have that conversation in an appropriate way, you need to, to work on it in therapy and journaling and in a men's group in a recovery session with your with your sponsor and and when you finally get most of this energy discharged out of your body and soul then you go talk to them and and say this is this is what I would like to pursue and and many mothers will turn around and say but you're my baby. You're always going to be my baby. And uh, and uh, the 87-year-old man says, no, Mom, I'm not your baby anymore. I mean, I'm glad you lived to 110, but I'm 85 years old now. This actually mm-hmm. happened to me in, in uh, our hometown not long ago, um, even though Mother and I really have a great relationship. But this was a carryover we met some woman that uh, she knew, but I didn't. And, and she said, now, Ethel, I want you to meet my oldest boy. Uh. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to let that slide. But mm-hmm. I just wonder how long it's going to go. Son, bring your walker on up here. I want to <laughs> introduce you as my oldest boy to one of my friends. But you know, so a lot of it you have to do with a sense of humor, not take too seriously, and give it lots of time and patience and compassion on both ends, your end and, and their end. And, and you can forge an adult-to-adult relationship. It just takes a little work. Right. That's wonderful. Thank you for doing that work yourself, and thank yeah. you for sharing that with others. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about uh, here uh, just a little bit this imp- very important topic. You're going to be uh, a keynote speaker, and you say you've been a keynote speaker at, at this conference uh, 
several times over the years. Mm-hmm. And this is mm-hmm. the conference, um, then this is the ninth annual conference. It happens to boys. And it is the premier conference addressing the effects and healing tools for male survivors of sexual abuse, their partners and families. And, um, uh, it's going to be happens. That's going to be here in Austin on March 24th. Uh, the website for that uh, conference to learn about it, if you want to learn and want to attend, is creativechangeconferences.com. Creativechangeconferences.com. So tell us about the conference. And again, this is not a, a uh, an easy topic: sexual abuse no. and sexual abuse of boys and people. That's another thing people don't talk about. That one. Oh no, but it Absolutely. happens. We know what happens, and it matters. So, tell us a little bit. Yeah, this conference got started by uh, these two wonderful, wonderful people, uh, Robert and Carol Tietelbaum, uh, about nine years ago. They they discovered, you know, and he says it very publicly at the conference that he had been uh, sexually abused, and him and his wife decided once that finally came to surface after being married for many years uh, that they needed to, to offer some kind of uh, context for other uh, mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters to come and be in a healthy, supportive environment uh, to talk about these things, do some work on these things here. Other people talk about it, but it is a very, very hard subject for boys and men to talk about and always has been, again, for a lot of cultural indoctrinations that you know, if an older woman has a, a sexual relationship with a, a 15-year-old, she's just turning him into a man kind of thing. And and the list goes on of different ways in which uh, boys were abused that just until the last 10 or 15 years, you know, it just wasn't discussed. These people are really great. Uh, the conferences have always been held in uh, either Phoenix or in California, and uh, we talked about it uh, last year when I was keynoting in California, and I said, y- y'all got to bring this to Austin. That's just all there is to it, and these people, this is not a money-making venture. It's a break-even venture, if that, um, and so there's like six keynote speak- uh, speakers on the keynote, and there'll be books on the subject. There'll be support groups uh, that will meet and, and continued uh, support afterwards. And so I'm very, very honored to be working with these folks uh, now, I think, for five or six years and uh, seeing the transformation that the conference can help uh, provide for a lot of people just to get them talking about it and then working on it. Right. Um, and who can attend this? Is it for anybody or just professionals or who should attend yes, or could that's attend? That's nice, nice thing about this conference. It's open to anybody, uh, helping professionals, ministers, doctors, priests, counselors, psychologists, and the general public. And, and that makes it for a very different kind of conference where all the speakers are are speaking both as professionals, but also, you know, telling their personal uh, life stories, you know, with that. Uh, Father Leo Booth is going to be there. Uh, He's been very instrumental in the recovery community. Uh, Jerry Moe is known by nearly every uh, 12-stepper in AA. He's an excellent, excellent speaker. Uh, Randy Boyd, uh, the list just goes on. And uh, so I really invite anybody who wants to know more about this issue and be able to support the people they love and also any of the people who are survivors uh, to come to this one-of-a-kind conference. Right. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, telling us about it and for uh, speaking there. And, uh, again, it's a really uh, 
important topic and and sounds like a very supportive atmosphere for anybody to be mm-hmm. there and, and to learn for sure um, also I just want to mention that uh, you're going to be a, a presenter a key presenter at another conference that again happens to be in Austin uh, mm-hmm. we got a lot going on here it's good and it's a recovery conference again called breaking yeah. the silence shame trauma and addiction and that will be May the 16th through the 19th um, right. Tell us a little bit about that. What's who's who should come could come to that, and what's the main focus? Uh, again, there? again, it's it's uh, directed toward clinicians, uh, recovery and therapists, and helping professionals. But general public does come. This is a, a conference. It's called the Ben Franklin Summit for Clinical Excellence. Uh, it's been going on for about twenty five years, doing four, five, six conferences a year or more. I've been keynoting for them for, well, for 25 years. Not every year, but but probably 15 of those 25 years. Very good group of people, very compassionate, and I think anybody would enjoy that who wants to take their recovery, uh, you know, a deeper uh, to a deeper level. Right. Yeah, thank you. We're so fortunate to live uh, in this time, and you and I both have spoken of being affected uh, in very positive ways by the uh, therapeutic community and, and speakers and presenters and, and in recovery, and it sure made a difference in my life to partake of all of it, you know, all the ways um, that I participated. So we're fortunate, you know, we, yes, we can really very, go for very. it. And Austin is, I mean, Austin is a mecca for healing, always has been. That's what brought me here in 1980, uh, you know, between the, the recovery community, the personal growth community, the arts community, uh, the uh, eclectic mix of people who provide different kinds of resources. It, it's a wonderful place. So having both of these conferences here is is just another contribution to what's already here. Right. Yeah, it's good. Well, our time is just about up, and I uh, mm-hmm. want to really thank you, John, for being my guest again and, and love having you, and we'll have you back. And thank you so much for the work that you have done over all these years, both with yourself, so you've got that personal integrity, and how you share that in such amazing ways through your writing and speaking and and through your counseling with people um with folks i want to thank you so much for what you do who you are thank you thank you for what you're doing and who you are too and this has been one of the best interviews you're so good at at talking about these things so straightforwardly and asking great questions i appreciate you having me on the show again and i hope you'll have me on another time in the future Absolutely, I will. So, okay. um, again, my guest is John Harold Lee. You can learn more about him at johnleebooks.com. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for listening with us today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your interest and for your recovery. If you are a person in recovery and all the many blessings of goodness to you. Have a wonderful week and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. considered that everything you think, say, and do is a prayer to the universe? What would your life be like if you activated the power of yes? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her exciting guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or even the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon central, 1 p.m. Eastern on Affirmative Prayer, activating the power of yes. 
Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is a balancing act. With hectic schedules and ceaseless demands on our time and attention, we've learned to prioritize. So often, though, I neglect to make time for what is most important. In our drive to get things done, there is an underlying desire, a need we all share, the need for peace. It is a gift that waits within me, ready to be enjoyed if I will simply allow myself the opportunity to connect. Inner peace lessens the everyday stresses of life and reminds me that how I am, the mental and spiritual point from which I view myself, is as important as what I do. I can make peace a priority. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Hi, I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the Mind Body Spirit. .fm podcast network